All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 11. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11. The Bible says here, 1 Timothy 6 and 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight, the good fight of faith. What I'd like to talk to you about is, I'm just going to use one phrase from verse 11, where he says, O man of God. That's the title of my sermon tonight. O man of God. Tonight's sermon is going to be something different than I've ever preached because I'm preaching about Bible school. And when Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus, these are pastoral epistles, and he is laying out for them what a man of God ought to be. So if you would, bow your heads with me. We're going to begin with a word of prayer, and we'll get into it. Father, thank you this evening. I'm so happy to be back here on a Sunday night. God, what a blessing to have the Word of God opened. There is nowhere that I would rather be right now. Lord, I beg you to please come down and speak to your people, Lord. Please remove all the distractions of the day, all the distractions of, of our heart, the things that are racing through our minds. Please, Lord, let us focus in for the next few minutes on what the Spirit of God has to say to us tonight as individuals and as a church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Many, many years ago now, when I started Bible school, uh, Dr. Ruckman had several men come through to preach to us, one of which was a, a man named Jim Lentz. And I know many, many of you know that name by now. Brother Lentz, he was a fireball of a preacher. He had bright red hair, and they nicknamed him Fireball just for the look of it. But when he preached, you could feel the fire. I mean, that guy really... If you were here this morning and you heard Brother Lee, you know that when the engine gets to revving, it just doesn't calm down. It just goes... <laughs> Brother Lentz would make Brother Lee sound like he's whispering. I mean, Brother Lentz just goes at it. But he would say this. He said, I don't want to be a man of God. I want to be God's man. Uh, you'd have to understand North Carolina logic to really appreciate that statement. But the reason he said that is because a lot of people in today's uh, church, they like the title man of God. You know, they kind of wear it as a badge. It's, it's the same thing you hear in a lot of churches, doctor, reverend, apostle, prophet, doodle digger, that, you know, that thing. They, they wear it as a badge, as a title. I am a man of God. And in the Old Testament, you read, remember where Elijah has those companies of 50 come to him, and he says, if I be a man of God, let fire come down. So that's the idea. People like to say, I'm a man of God. They're going to bring the fire down. And, and Brother Lentz wanted to distance himself from that. He, he didn't want to put on a show. He didn't want to be just another man of God running with the crowd. He wanted to do it God's way. So instead of being a man of God, he wanted to be God's man. Now, it's a play on words. I get that. But his point, and the point I think is a valid one, he would rather have God in control. He'd rather be in submission to God. He'd rather have the hand of God on him than just put on a show. Now, interestingly enough, this phrase, man of God, there's only one person in the New Testament to whom that phrase is given, and it's Timothy. Now, you would think surely John the Baptist or Jesus or Paul or Peter, some, but now I, all of those men are worthy of the title man of God, no doubt. But Paul writes to Timothy and calls him man of God. What a compliment. What a compliment. I, I want to try to explain to you tonight the heart and soul behind having a Bible school and why you would want to devote yourself to extra training for the ministry. Now, some of you maybe you're already thinking, but I have no intentions of ever being in the ministry. So I can tune out. This sermon doesn't apply to me. But hang on just a second. Your pastor is supposed to be an example for you. So when you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus, you're actually indirectly reading about what a Christian should look like. 
So even though tonight we might be talking about how to prepare for the ministry, we're also talking about how to prepare for life. Now, I'm going to encourage you, those of you that would like to sign up for the Bible school, you want to write the exams, or maybe even if you don't want to write the exams, you want to just come to class, if you want to receive all the handouts that we give, we would ask that you fill out one of the brochures. They're on the back table. And I, I would like to read to you something from this brochure. There's a very good reason that I've printed it on the back uh, panel here. I don't know if you're familiar with this name, Thomas Cranmer. Do we know this name? Thomas Cranmer. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury in the days of the Reformation when the uh, Anglican Church was getting started. So in 1540, a Bible was translated. It's called the Great Bible. Now, the Bible is great, right? But that was, they named it because this Bible was huge. It was massive, so they called it the Great Bible. There were four or five other English Bibles that had been translated up until this one, but when this one came out, Thomas Cranmer wrote the preface for it. I'm going to read you just a part of it. Cranmer writes, But still ye will say, I cannot understand it, talking about the Bible. What marvel? How shouldest thou understand if thou wilt not read nor look upon it? That's a good point. Take the books into thine hands, read the whole story, and that thou understandest, keep it well in memory. That thou understandest not, read it again and again. If thou can neither so come by it, so if you don't understand it still, counsel with some other that is better learned. If you don't get it, ask. Go to thy curate. Curate is an old English word for pastor. Go to thy curate and preacher. Show thyself to be desirous to know and learn. And I doubt not but God, seeing thy diligence and readiness, if no man else teach thee, will himself vouchsafe with his Holy Spirit to, to illuminate thee and to open unto thee that which was locked from thee. That's a powerful statement on how to learn your Bible. Now, I'd like, I'd like for you to let this sink in for a second. Read it. Read it again. If you don't understand, go ask somebody that knows it better than you. The biblical way of saying this is, with all thy getting, get understanding. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Thomas Cranmer wrote that in 1540, the preface to the Great Bible. I'm going to read to you. Now, I want you to understand the setting in which he said this. The Emperor Charles V in 1550. I'm going to read you the mandate that this Roman Catholic emperor gave ten years after Cranmer wrote this. So Cranmer says, go learn the Bible. The emperor says, moreover, we forbid everyone. Hello? Was that a good idea? Good point. Moreover, we forbid everyone, laymen and others, to discuss or argue about the Holy Scriptures. So the king says, no one's allowed to talk about the Bible. You can't even discuss it. Whether in secret or in public, especially touching important and doubtful matters, or to read aloud or, to, uh, or teach to others the Holy Scriptures, unless they be theologians versed in theology and approved by some well-known university, which, of course, he means some Catholic-based university. Did you know Timothy never went to a, a, a well-known university? Did you know Jesus was a man that knew not letters? Did you know that the apostles were unlearned and ignorant? Right, you knew that, right? So according to the emperor, uh, Jesus, Peter, James, John, Paul, Timothy, they wouldn't be allowed to even talk about the Bible in their home in private. What was the punishment if they did? 
in case anyone is discovered to have violated any of the provisions herein stated, the punishment shall be fitting for seditious persons who are a peril to our realm and the common good. They shall be executed. The men by the sword and the women by being buried alive. If they show no disposition to maintain or defend their heirs. Do you understand what this means? Let, let me break down the English. Maybe it's a little deep. He says, once they're confronted and they've been accused, you're talking about the Bible privately in your home with your children. And the person says, yes, yes, it's true. I did, but I'll never do it again. You die. If you admit to it and promise never to do it again, the men get the sword, the women get buried. But what if you say, I am going to continue having my Bible studies. I'm going to continue learning and asking. Should they, I'm reading again, however persist in their opinions, errors, and heresies, they shall be burned alive. And in every case, their goods shall be confiscated and declared forfeit to us. That's 1550. Cranmer's telling you, go study the Bible. And then the emperor, people are going out and studying it. And it's changing the empire so much that the emperor says, okay, enough with this. We're going to have to kill them all. Isn't it a blessing tonight that we can gather without fear of Ramaphosa coming and, and saying, hey, 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 what are you doing? Nothing. We, we, we don't have any fear of that. When you read the stories of the Reformation and how these people had to meet in secret to learn the Bible, it, it really should put us under some conviction that we don't make a greater effort to know our Bibles, to discuss our Bibles publicly and in private. Can I ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, please? 2 Timothy chapter 2. On the back of the panel for the Bible School brochure, or back panel, I should say, I, I have asked a question, should you attend a Bible school? And then I put under that, the real question is, why not? I think that's also something to consider tonight. Uh, why not come out on Wednesdays as well? Why not learn this year the book of Matthew, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians? I think that would be a valid use of, your, of two hours on a Klein Satadach. If nothing else, it'll keep you out of trouble during those two hours. I got three things tonight that I'd like to say about becoming this person, if I can make it gender neutral, person of God, right? Three things. Number one, coming to a Bible school is going to help you learn some character. It's going to teach you some character. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is Paul instructing a pastor and how he should be in the ministry. And, he said, and Timothy's a rather young man, comparatively, and he says, Endure Hardness. You're going to have to go through some tough times. And when you go through the tough times, you can't just run off. You still have to do what's right, live up to your responsibilities. And coming to a Bible school, what it does is it, it gives you structure. It forces you to conform to a schedule. It says some Sunday nights, some Wednesday nights, I may not feel like it. I may not feel up to it. I'm tired. I have other things I, I'd rather do. But I'm going to have to crucify the flesh. And guys, if this is the hardest thing you have to go through, forcing yourself to come to Bible school or sit through an hour of lessons, that, let's be honest, that's not hardness, right? The hardness that Paul is referring to is your life is on the line, persecution stuff. But sitting through a Bible school, at the very least, it will help you crucify the flesh and teach you some character. Now, the word character... If you look in the Cambridge Dictionary, it says it's the quality of being determined and able to deal with difficult situations. Now, coming to a Bible school, sometimes you don't feel like it. You do, you do it anyway because you've made a commitment to do it. 
So I'll give you my definition of character. You do what's right even when you don't feel like it. Now that's breaking it down real simple. But you do what's right even when you don't feel like it. Take a moment and think about how many problems that might fix, not only in your life, but in this community, in this country, and in the world. If people would do what's right instead of what they feel like doing. I think you'd agree with me on this. Life is not convenient. Right? We are trying to accommodate everyone, myself included, by making the Bible school schedule as easy as possible. We've stretched it out to four years with only three classes a week. That's not asking too, too much. We've tried to make it so that Sunday night, we're not taking anything extra from your schedule. Most of you would be in church anyway. And then we're only having one mid, midweek uh, service, if you will, for Bible school. So we've tried to make it as convenient as possible because we are aware that you guys do have busy lives and that there's th- other things you need to deal with. But life isn't convenient. Why should preparation for the ministry be convenient? It shouldn't be circling around convenience, but rather teaching you character. To say this is important, learning the Bible is important, preparing myself to serve others is of the utmost importance, and it is worth the three hours of the week that the church has organized. Dr. Uckman used to say it like this, and I, one of the first things I ever heard him say in person, we were sitting through the orientation class of, for Bible school. And he said, now some of you, he talked out of the side of his mouth, he said, now some of you, you don't need a Bible education. Some of you, you need a good mother. <laughs> that caught me off guard. I thought, now I came, I, I drove over 12 hours to be in this Bible school. I, I, we gave up our lives in Texas and moved to Florida. And then he says, Some of you don't need a Bible education, you need a mother, a good mother. See, I didn't grow up with a mom, so I thought, ooh, maybe I should leave. (laughs) That really hit home with me. His point was this. Some of you lack the character. You lack character. So learning the Bible would actually be more damaging to you because you don't have the character to apply it properly. It would go to your head, it would make you proud. You would go around thumping people with your Bible instead of properly ministering to people. You need character so that when the ministry gets difficult, you can push through it. Coming to Bible school is not just about learning the Bible. Folks, listen. Most of you in this building tonight, you're smart enough. You could honestly go around on YouTube and learn the Bible quicker than I could teach it to you. You really could. Some of you have enough intelligence and, and care. You could actually teach yourself more than we can teach you in the, in the Bible school. But one of, the, one of the reasons we have the classes is so that it teaches you to conform to a schedule, to do things, to submit to an authority. Because in the ministry, you don't get to do things the way you always want to do them. You get phone calls in the middle of the night. Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, Pastor, I'm thinking of killing myself. Please help me. You can't say, listen, this isn't a good time for me. Can we discuss your suicide tomorrow morning? You You don't get to ask for convenient time. You have to do what's necessary. Can I show you another verse? Get Titus chapter one, please. Titus chapter one. Verse number 7, he's talking about the characteristics of a pastor here, or a bishop. He says in verse 7, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. And then look at the first thing. It's a a list of things you shouldn't be. Not self-willed. So I can't just make it up as I feel like it. I can't just do what I feel like doing. And that's part of what a Bible school is going to help you do. It'll give you temperance and discipline and character. And it'll teach you how to sacrifice a piece of your life to learn the Bible, to get prepared so that you can minister to others. If you're not willing to make that small sacrifice, there's a very low likelihood that God would put you in the ministry at any point in the future. I don't think everybody needs to go to Bible school in order to be a pastor. I don't believe that. 
I, I am not Emperor Charles V. I don't think you have to be a theologian from a, a well-known university. I think you can be a John the Baptist crying in the wilderness, here comes the Lamb of God, right? I, I, I believe that with all my heart. However, I also know that for some people, for a lot of people, going to a Bible school is a great opportunity, not only to become a minister, but just to get you well-grounded for life. You students that are enrolled at the Puck, I don't know if you will fully appreciate what I'm about to say, but you have the opportunity of a lifetime. You can get a, a good degree, earn a degree, engineering, marketing, pharmacy, something, something that you could go out and get a job with. Did you know you can't go get a job with a Bachelor of, 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 of Divinity? <laughs> My Bachelor of Divinity, you can't get any jobs with that. You can go to a Bible school, you can go to a seminary, you can get their Bachelor of Divinity and a Master of Divinity, and, and you'll get no job. And you know what you'll learn? Pretty much the same thing we're going to give you in the next three or four years. You guys that are at the puck, you can get a solid education, something that will sustain you throughout your life, physically speaking, and at the same time get well-grounded with the Bible so that you know how to use your money and how to handle your family so that you don't drink all your money away, you don't spend it all on drugs, you don't waste it on gambling, you don't, you don't spend it foolishly. Opportunity of a lifetime. Some of you, uh, how many, can I ask tonight, how many of you have graduated already from the puck? Great, raise your hands. All right. A decent number of you. Good deal. How many of you, after graduating, found that your schedule opened up and you had a lot more free time after you graduated? Now let's see the hands. Armand, don't, don't make me. Don't make my life more difficult, man. Okay, other than Armand, no one else has extra time. You, you other Fulvosinus, am I right? That life has gotten more and more hectic? That the snowball is going down the hill and it's getting bigger as it goes? While you have a chance, before you've started the career, before you've started the family, get the Bible education while you can. Here's your chance. It is not going to get better than this. Not as far as opportunities go. Not as far as the schedule goes. Can I show you something else? Let's come to... 2 Timothy chapter 3. First of all, you need character. First of all, character. Secondly, you need continuance. 2 Timothy 3, verse number 14. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy had a very different situation for a Bible school. He got to walk with the Apostle Paul for several years. That is so much better than coming to four years of a Bible school. That's practical on-the-job training right there. But he tells Timothy, Timothy has already been a pastor by this point for several years. And you know what he tells Timothy to do? Keep learning. Continue on. Don't, don't forget what I taught you. Don't forget what you've learned along the way, but continue thou. You're not done learning yet. Verse 15. Look at, look at where it started. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Hmm. From a child. That's where it starts, and then it just continues on. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in... Christ Jesus, keep going, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Now, we're talking about a pastor here, but I think you can see how this would help regardless of whether or not you're in the ministry. Wouldn't it be nice to know what the true teachings of the Bible are? He says scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, to point out where you've gone wrong, for correction, to show you how to fix what went wrong, for instruction in righteousness, to show you the right things that need to be done. 
Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. Now that means complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He's not going to get that from just three or four years in a Bible school. He gets this by continuing in the things that he has learned. Uh, just come one page back, maybe on the same page. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Paul says in a verse I think you're all familiar with, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As I just mentioned, Timothy's been in the ministry for several years. He's a pastor at this point. You know what Paul tells him to do? Study. He didn't tell him to go back to Bible school. He's already been to his version of the Bible school. He's walked with Paul. He's graduated to the position of full-time ministry pastor. And he says, now, study and, and work at it. Show yourself approved unto God. Uh, come back a little bit farther. Get one Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And verse number 13, 1 Timothy 4 verse 13. Paul says to Timothy, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Here's a man that is leading the church in Ephesus, and he tells him, Now, Timothy, don't quit reading the books. Don't stop attending preaching. That's exhortation. That's preaching. Go listen to other preachers and to doctrine. Go listen to other teachers. Keep learning. There's a continuation. So if I can say it like this, in the next four years of Bible school, we'll get you started. We'll give you a good running start, but then you've got the next 40 years or 50 years to build on that. I speak from personal experience. Guys, after I got saved, I bought all of Dr. Upton's commentaries and read every single one of them that I could afford. I ran out of money. <laughs> By the time I got to Bible school, I already knew all, everything that he was going to say as far as the major doctrines. I'd read them in the books. And then he built on that for the next three years. I learned more. But the lessons I've learned about the Bible since graduating a hundred times, it's a hundred times more than what I learned in Bible school because I've had to live it. I've had to practice it. Uh, one more verse on this. 1 Timothy 5, verse number 17. 1 Timothy 5, 17. He says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So what's the pastor supposed to do? Labor in the word and doctrine. It, do, it doesn't say pay the pastor well because he went to a well-known university. Pay him well because he got his degree. and He has a, a, you know, a doctorate. He says, take care of him, even give him double honor, so you can give him a little extra. If he labors, present tense, that's continuation, in the word and in doctrine. I've found it far too often, people try to rush into the ministry, and they think, well, I'm called of God, I, I feel this burden to preach to others, so I'm going to go to Bible school, and three or four years later, I'm going to be in the ministry. Did you know it could take about 20, 30 years for God to mold you into the man of God or into the minister that you need to be? That's not an overnight thing. That's not a four-year process. We'll teach you the Bible. We'll, give you, we'll, we'll put the tools in your hands, but that's only the beginning. God you might remember. He told Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. You guys remember that parable? And he said, go look at what the potter's doing. It, you need to put yourself on the potter's wheel and, and let God put His hands on you and slowly make you into what you need to be. And it's going to take some time to change you and work out all the kinks and the bumps until you're exactly the shape and, and conform to His image. That's going to take some time. It's going to take some continuation. We live in a day and age where we just press the button and it's done. Right? How many of you are old enough to remember when you had to dial on a phone by turning it in circles? You remember that thing, the rotary dials? Remember that? Seven. Eight. Oh, man. Could you imagine? 
Tony, could you, could you imagine one of the youngsters today with that? You would never call anyone. You don't have the patience. You'd never talk to anyone. Like two, dee dee dee, three, dee 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 dee, ah, and just hang it up. You wouldn't make it. You just press the button, done. Now, now we, ha we, our phones now. You don't even have to press the button. Hey Siri, call this guy. I mean, that's how lazy we, we don't even press the button anymore. Forget about continuing. We don't even get started with it. We need some character. And we need to learn to continue. I hope in the last eight years that I've been with you folks, now obviously you can hear a difference, but I hope that you've seen a difference in my preaching as the time has gone on. I, I hope there's been some maturity to it. I hope I've, I've learned a few things so that if you listen to the CDs from eight years ago, hopefully now what I'm giving you is a little bit better. Man, I didn't get any response. Armand, what, why are you sitting back there being quiet now? Why are you being quiet now? All I needed was one amen. I got none, man. I'm, I'm going home. That's it. I'm not continuing anymore. You see why you need character? Look what you got to deal with. <laughs> Let, let's finish this up. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 17. Second Timothy 3 and verse 17. First, you need character. Second, you need continuance. And third, and this, I have a question mark on my outline. Comprehensive. Question mark. Are you guys hearing how loud that bird is? That's amazing. I'm getting more amens from the bird than I know. <laughs> Just kidding. Just thought I'd drive that home. Comprehensive. What I mean by that is, can we teach you everything you need to know in four years? Can we train you for every possible uh, situation that might arise in the ministry? I promise you, we cannot. But we can. But we can't. So let me explain. Aren't you glad you can't? You need somebody to explain those kind of things to you. <laughs> Verse 17. That the man of God may be what? Perfect. That, complete. What does that mean? He has everything he needs. Look at the rest of the verse. Thoroughly furnished. Not just furnished. Thoroughly. The, you have, through and through. You have everything you need. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, where are you going to get this? This all good works. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You come to a Bible school, you need to learn the Bible. Now, when you look at the classes that we offer, you might notice that we don't offer Greek and Hebrew. Uh, I'm not against learning Greek and Hebrew. I learned it. I, I, can, parse, I can parse a Greek sentence. You know how many times that's helped me win somebody to Christ? Over 20 years, not one time did my knowledge of Greek make a difference in anybody's life. I'm not saying it's bad, you understand. It's not bad, it's not a complete waste of time. However, I think some of you that have been around, if you've been in other churches, there are a lot of sermons that sound more like a Hebrew and Greek lesson than a Bible lesson. I have found, I've preached in Canada, I've preached in Europe, I've preached in America, I've preached in India, I've preached in several different countries in Africa. So I've been around, I've seen different cultures, seen different languages. Do you know it would do absolutely no good, Brother Boltman, would you help me out here, to go to India and talk Greek to them? Wouldn't help, would it? When we got there, we sat down with the Indian pastors and I said, gentlemen, ask anything you'd like, I'll do the best I can to help. Here's their first question. How do we deal with persecution? Because the Hindus keep coming and beating us while we're preaching. I promise you, knowing, the, knowing how to parse a Greek sentence isn't going to help that man. Now, if you can give him a verse from the Bible, 
If you know what the Bible says about persecution, that might help. You know what I've discovered about the ministry? When I was in Bible school, I had a very different picture in my mind as to how things would go in the ministry. I thought the ministry is teaching the Bible to others. Teaching and preaching. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and I will explain the Bible. And then God said, all right, go in the ministry. Wow, come to find out, you know people have a lot of questions about life. And they, they don't really, they're not concerned about the seven baptisms. Not nearly as much as they are their rebellious teenage daughter. People, people are not nearly as interested in what's going to happen directly after the Battle of Armageddon and how the Antichrist will be thrown into a lake of fire instead of the lake of fire when they're going through a divorce. They, they don't care about that. I got into the ministry and all of a sudden I'm getting questions like, Brother Mike, my mother has hired people to kill me because I'm a Christian. What do I do? Brother Mike, I have a drug problem and I can't find work. I have nowhere to sleep and thieves keep stealing everything I have because I live on the streets. What do I do? You want to speak Greek to them? You want to give them a Hebrew verb? <laughs> you want to talk about Shabbat? Is that going to help? <laughs> it's not going to help. You're going to have to know what the Bible says on these very practical parts of life. That's why we focus so much on the Bible. That's why we go verse by verse through Romans and Matthew and Galatians and Philippians. That's why we do it the way we do it. It's not that we're saying Greek and Hebrew is useless. It's not that we're saying psychology has no place in the ministry. It might be helpful, but what I have found through personal experience is if you can explain to them from the Word of God what God expects from them in that situation, it will help them so much more than giving some technical explanation from Sigmund Freud. A lot of Bible schools incorporate psychology into the curriculum. You say, got to have a psychology class. I'm not against it. Help yourself. When I was in Bible school, I studied advanced psychology. And again, not one time have I ever sat down with somebody in the office and said, okay, let me tell you what Freud and Jung said. It just, it just didn't help. What did your mother do to you? It just didn't... It, it didn't help. I'm not against it. Please understand, if someone's a psychologist, I'm not, I'm not speaking against that at all. I think if you can find a Christian psychologist that can apply biblical principles to the problems that come into his or her office, then that person has an outstanding opportunity to minister to people that may not show up to a church. See, So I definitely see where that can be a help and a blessing to the body of Christ. I get it. But let, let's call psychology what it is. Psychology is fallen man studying fallen men. Do you understand what I mean by that? Freud, Jung, all these guys, they, that's a fallen man observing what's going on and then giving his opinions from, based with his depravity, with his fallen nature, making judgments about these other people and what they're going through. Psychology, guys, if you read about it, it has gone... Much like science, it continually changes what they think is truth and error. Continually re, redefining things. And people have different opinions about why depression sets in and how to fix it. Come to find out the Bible has the answers you need for those situations. Say, but Brother Mike, you're going to have to tell us then how, how do we counsel these people. You know, you know the best thing you can do for some people? But, but I'm going to show you... Tani, can I ask for your help, please? Could you just stand with me? This, this is some of the best counseling you'll ever do. When, when, when they come to you and they're heartbroken, you say, I love you, sis. You're wonderful. You hang in there. And I'm, not, I'm going to be there for you the whole way. I don't know what else to say, but I love you. Now, did you, did you know... I'm not making any false promises when I say that. It's exactly what the Bible tells me to do with situations that are beyond my control. Sometimes you don't have the answer. So what's the answer? Tell her you don't have the answer. How's that? 
say, sister, we'll pray for you. And I'll be there for you the whole way. If, if you need extra help, if you need someone to sit there with you, I will offer up my time. If it is two in the morning, whatever it is, I love you, so I want to try to help. That's counseling. It's loving people. It's having compassion on people. It's bearing their burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. You don't have to have a degree in psychology for that. Now, do you understand? I, I want to be balanced here. I'm not saying the degree in psychology is going to hurt you. But I am saying, according to the Bible, the man of God is thoroughly furnished because he learned the Scripture and continues learning. That's what you need. He said, Brother Mike, there's one other concern of mine. I don't know how to preach. Will you tell me how to preach? How do you get up behind the pulpit and deliver the sermon? Here's how you do it. You get up behind the pulpit and you deliver the sermon. <laughs> Say, but I'm scared of people. Who isn't? Who isn't? Okay. You guys are being difficult tonight. Thank you, Juliet. Okay, you two aren't. You two right there, they're like, let me up there now. <laughs> The scary thing is, if I let them, they would, eh? And then, then you guys would really be in for it. <laughs> so how do you learn to preach? In our Bible school, we require that anybody who wants to earn a degree from us, they have to go out at least three hours in the month and do personal work. Because that's where you learn to preach. You go talk to people about the gospel. It builds your boldness. It tells you what people really are struggling with. And if you cannot talk to a sinner one-on-one, -on -one, why do you think you deserve to stand up and talk to a hundred of them? Where are you going to learn to preach? Well, you have hundreds of opportunities around you every day. Go practice. You know the gospel. Go practice. I asked a pastor one time, Brother Reinhardt. I said, Brother Reinhardt, do you... Whenever you travel around and preach in other churches, do you ever repeat the same sermon maybe that you've used in a different church? And he said, well, sure, that, that happens. I said, how do, you, how do you prevent getting stiff and mechanical when you deliver the sermon? Because you know what's coming. You've told this joke before. How do you keep it fresh? And he said, Brother Mike, do you ever go out on the street and witness to people? I said, yes. He said, what message do you give them? I said, the gospel. He said, oh, it's the same one every time. I said, yeah. He said, you know why it's fresh? Because the people need to hear it. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with them. He said, Brother Mike, I don't know if I'll ever be a preacher. I don't know if I could ever be a teacher. If you care enough about communicating the truth of God to people, then you will patiently work on it until you figure it out. It might take eight years, ten years, fifteen years before you, you come into your own until you feel comfortable behind the pulpit. Guys, do, how, how should I phrase this? I want to ask, but I'm afraid you'll answer because I've been getting so many answers tonight when I don't want them. Um, Did you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years, but my, my heart still goes up into my throat before I start. I still get butterflies in my tummy. I, before I start, I, I go in the back and beg God, please, please, God, show up tonight. Please help me. You, you asked Christina last week, Sunday afternoon. She posted the sermon to YouTube. What did I do five minutes later? Watch the sermon. You know, why? I'm looking at it going, man, I forgot how to preach. I need to figure out where I went wrong. And I'm still trying to figure out how to preach. Now, I'd love, I'd love to be eloquent for you guys. I listen to these guys like Ravi Zacharias. Do any of you listen to him? Ravi Zacharias. Oh, man. I listen to John Lennox. I listen to these men and they're so eloquent and they use these big words and, and I just, I, my jaw drops and I think, ha, ah, that's how you do it. And then I get up and in my mind, that's how I sound on my way to church, in my mind. I'm working on my sermon, I think that's how I'm going to sound. And then when I get up here, 
I feel more like Jacques Clouseau. <laughs> Does everybody know Jacques Clouseau? Emola, 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 Emola. You guys remember? For those of you that have seen Pink Panther, Emola, I can't figure out how to say it right. I don't feel eloquent. I, I don't feel like I've done the job I need to do. But, but I've also figured this out. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. It's, it's not in how eloquent I can be. It's the authority with which you speak. I get up and say, thus saith the Lord and deliver truth and I'm doing it genuinely, as genuine as I know how. So whether or not it's eloquent or whether or not I'm on Ravi Zacharias level, who cares if I ever get there? That's not the standard. That's not the goal. So I don't feel qualified. I don't think I can do it as good as the next guy. You just do it as good as God has gifted you to do it. One last verse and we'll finish up. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, in verse number 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They weren't eloquent. When you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, when God called Jeremiah to preach, you know what Jeremiah said? He said, I'm but a child. Yeah. He, was, he was a grown man. What he's saying is, I, I'm not ready for that. I can't take that on. And God said, I'll tell you what to say. Remember what Moses said? Yeah. I can't do this. And he said, who made your mouth? Yeah. Every, when you look through the Old Testament, these prophets, when God called them, most of them said, I don't think I'm the right guy for the job. Call someone else. Amos is a great example of this. He says, I wasn't a prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet. He said, My, I don't come from a line of prophets. He said, I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I was a shepherd. He said, bur, that's all I am. He said, I, I don't know what I'm doing. God just told me to say it, and I'm saying it. Guys, that's the reason we want to have a Bible school. To tell you what God said so that you can go say it. Even if you're not going to be in the full-time ministry. You can find out what God said about your life, about being a good husband, a good wife, a good marriage, good parents, being a good employer, being a good employee, being a good citizen of this country. How to care about people. Those things apply and can help anyone. So don't worry about the finer details. You'll get that as you go. It might take 20, 30 years, but you'll get it. But take advantage of the opportunity you have now of a focused, concentrated effort to give you as much Bible as you can get in a short amount of time. Amen. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. And there's really not much I, I want to give you in, in the way of an invitation tonight. Hasn't been so much of a sermon like that. This has been more just to encourage you to make time for the Bible school. Caleb, if you can play something, we'll just take just a moment. I, the reason I want you to take a moment and pray about this is just to ask the Lord um, how much effort you should put into learning the Bible over the next four years. While you think on that, I'm going to read this to you again. Take the books into thine hands, read the whole story, and that thou understandest, keep it well in memory, 
that thou understandest not. Read it again and again. What great advice. Should you attend Bible school? Why not? Say, I'm too busy. Well, maybe it's one of those character issues where you decide on the priorities of life and say, you know, taking a couple hours on a Wednesday, taking an hour on Sunday night, yeah, it's worth that. And you do what's right because it's the right thing to do. A solid Bible education never hurt anyone. Never. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts tonight. I, Lord, as I've admitted tonight, don't feel like much of an eloquent man. I really wish I could do a better job for these folks. Lord, I'm doing the best I can with what you gave me. And I do pray that, Lord, you'd prepare my heart, prepare my mouth, my lips, give me the tongue of the learned, and at the same time prepare the hearts of these people and even others that might still come. Please use our Bible school, Lord, to prepare people for life and ministry. Father, this is a great privilege. I do appreciate it, Lord. I don't want to take it lightly. And Lord, you know how much I love these people, Lord. I want to be a help and a blessing to them, God. Father, please bless our efforts as we continue on through the year with this Bible school. I do pray you get us home safely tonight. Thank you for the time today in the house of God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.